As many of you will probably know, my lovely wife and I, we have two daughters. Our youngest daughter, Georgie, she's graduating this weekend, and our oldest daughter, Chelsea, she graduated from SAA two years ago. After I received this invitation, I said to Chelsea, our oldest, and you know, kids have the remarkable ability of putting you in touch with reality. I said, hey, Chels, I've been asked to speak at Georgie's graduation Sabbath service. And we both knew that I hadn't been asked to speak at all on the weekend of her graduation service. Without a blink, she replied, oh, Dad, please. I went to the meeting where they chose the speakers for the weekend. Georgia didn't go to the meeting. Yeah, I discovered why I was speaking this weekend. <laughs> this morning, I'd like to speak directly to our 32 graduates. While I'm going to speak directly to this 32, I'm also praying that everyone else here will receive a message for themselves as well. My wife and I have known you, most of you, for 12 years. We've watched you, we've prayed for you all daily. Deborah's taught you, many of you, in Sabbath school, and we hope for you, and we'll continue to do this as well. We want you to know that you are loved. Your parents have spent hour after hour on their knees, begging God for you, loving God, stuff that you haven't seen. The wider community has also done this for you as well. You are loved, not only on this planet, but beyond. This morning, I'd like to talk about your tomorrow. Your tomorrow starts today. By virtue of your age, most of you are 18, and as a result of your endurance, education, and maturity, you've passed the test of society, the initiation test, and you're now regarded as adults. Congratulations. Welcome to the club. Now you're just like your parents, adults. Welcome to a world of responsibility. After this weekend, you'll go out into that big, wide world as adults. And in all seriousness, what an opportunity. Dream. To borrow the, the words of the Joseph musical, close your eyes, draw back the curtains, and imagine. If you can, imagine the greatest things that God can do through you. And while you're celebrating and excited about the future, and your parents and families are celebrating with you, it's appropriate for us to momentarily pause and reflect what's happening in a corner of your parents' hearts. While they're thrilled that you're growing, they're thrilled that you're developing, they're excited about your future, they also know that changes are coming. They'll see a little less of you, They'll hear a little less of you as well, until the cash is running a little low. <laughs> There'll be less hugs, less meals together, less hanging out together. It all means just a little more distance, more distance than they would like. Please keep in touch. Please stay close. 
If you're the oldest child in your family, this is a big deal. This is kind of like the first step on the moon. It's a, it's a big thing. If you're the middle kid or one of the middle kids in your family, this is even a bigger deal because your parents know the pain and the pain is cumulative. If you're the youngest kid, the last, you leaving home is huge, seismic. And if you're an only child, for your parents, this belongs in Matthew 24. This is with all those other calamities like wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilence, empty nest. <laughs> but if I can say this to your parents and to my sweet wife, the rabbis assure us that life begins when the children leave home. I hope they're right. <laughs> Back to the 32. So here you are in the prime of your youth, as young adults, with the world and your lives before you. In a sense, you're like Israel, about to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land, literally and figuratively. Because your world, this world, does stand on the promises of God. And this gives you promise and hope for the future. Your class text that you chose comes from Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 8. And may I remind you, it says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. But while your future rests securely on the promises of God, pray about your future. Ask for wisdom, guidance, and direction. In other words, remember your creator in the days of your youth, and only good will come from it. Your greatest happiness, your greatest joy in life will come from doing God's will in your life. It's only with God that you can reach your potential in life. Only with God. And let me explain with an example. Tucked under those pews in the front row and behind there, there are some Bibles. Open those Bibles with me, share them amongst yourselves, and turn with me to John chapter 1. I don't want you to use your phones because you'll get distracted. Use the Bibles, I know. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 41. And it says, The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he, that's Andrew, brought him, Simon, to Jesus. And then here's the big phrase. Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. When Jesus looked at Peter, it wasn't just a passing glance. Heaven doesn't just glance at people. 
Heaven looks at you with love. More than that, the Greek here indicates that it was a considered look. It was a comprehensive survey of Peter's possibilities. Jesus saw Peter's potential. And heaven sees your potential. And God looks at you in the same way that Jesus looked at Peter. He sees your future, your possibility. Without Jesus, Peter could have spent his whole life as a fisherman. He could have found a certain level of contentment in that, working hard, trying to catch fish, sometimes spending whole nights not catching fish, and cleaning nets for no return. But our lives need to consist of more than a, a highlight of killing fish, as noble as it is, to provide for our family. And this is what Jesus is calling you to. Yes, our world needs people to catch fish, to grow food, and to do thankless, necessary tasks for the benefit of the wider community. But with Jesus, your world can be so much more than simply killing fish. And your planet can be a better place. Let's just consider Peter's life a little more. People long for a great education in one of the great universities of the world, Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge. But Peter received an extraordinary personalized education from the greatest teacher this world has ever seen. Now, this is not to speak disparagingly of modern education institutions. Peter was no illiterate ignoramus. His writings, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have captivated millions for centuries. Our whole church is currently studying the writings of Peter day by day for three months. That's how good they are. But because Peter responded to Jesus' invitation and lived his life with Jesus, he was able to experience the most extraordinary things. He walked on water with Jesus. While being flung around in a flimsy boat in an angry sea, he experienced the stilling of a violent storm. He saw the transfigured Jesus. He saw Moses and Elijah. He ate food cooked by Jesus. Today, people long to eat at restaurants that have Michelin stars. Peter ate food cooked by a man who made the stars. Jesus washed Peter's feet. People like to treat themselves to a spa when a stranger does nice things to your body to make it feel good. Imagine the love with which Jesus washed Peter's feet. Peter saw the most significant events on this planet. The crucifixion of Jesus. When God took the penalty for your sins, my sins, and the sins of all humanity, and died an agonizing, atoning death. 
He saw the resurrection of Jesus. He was the first to run into that empty tomb and to see the, the, the grave cloths there on the ground. He watched the ascension of Jesus, straining his eyes for the last glimpse of Jesus. And he word, heard the words of the angels promise that this same Jesus will return for you. He experienced Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the conversion of thousands, and people ran up to Peter to hear him speak about Jesus. He partnered with John and healed a cripple outside the temple. He saw that man for the first time as a result of his ministry walk. Parents are thrilled when they see their infant walk for the first time, but this man was in his 40s and Peter was holding him by the right hand as he took his first steps. Can you imagine the joy in Peter's life and the meaning of that? Jesus used Peter to heal a man who'd been confined to bed for eight years. Imagine stuck in bed for eight years and Peter comes and his life is turned around. There was an old, beautiful woman who spent her life just serving others. She died. Her name was Dorcas or Tabitha. Peter brought her back to life. This was just some of the experiences of Peter's life. Now today, when we think of handkerchiefs and cloths, we think of them as diseased things. Keep away from them. Touch them with rubber gloves. Peter's handkerchiefs healed people. This is what Jesus did through Peter. This was what Jesus saw as the possibilities and the potential with Jesus, with Peter. Yes, Peter was a mere man. He wasn't Jesus. He was very capable of making big mistakes, huge mistakes. He was publicly embarrassed and humiliated for denying Jesus. But Peter didn't spend his whole life limited to catching fish and smelling like fish. He lived a broader, fuller life, doing what Jesus asked him to do. He fed the sheep of Jesus. He led his lambs, and they were all blessed and benefited. You see, Jesus is all about changing normal lives into incredible lives. Changing lives so that they have purpose. There's a destiny. Yes, your tomorrow starts today. But with Jesus, your life will be exciting. With Jesus, your life will be amazing. Notice the words of Peter in Acts chapter 2. Turn with me in those Bibles. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Here he quotes from the Old Testament prophet Joel. He said, in the last days, in which days? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. 
If you want to be a true visionary, live your life with Jesus Christ. If you want to dream real dreams, not just fantasies that flit through your mind, but dream dreams that can be realities, live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, human beings only have so much power, but God's power is limitless. Don't live Snapchat lives. Lives that just exist for seconds and then are deliberately designed to vanish. Don't live your life seeing a world this big with your head down looking at a world this big. Your loving, creating saviour is giving you a whole universe. See the big world. Experience the big world. Use this as a tool. Don't let it be your master. Now I'm guessing that there may be a small minority of this graduating class. And let's be open, honest, and transparent here. That in your heart of hearts, you are making secret plans. That when the shackles of the parents are gone, you're planning to leave Jesus and leave this church. My whole aim this morning is to, be, is to show you that without Jesus, your life will be mundane. But with Jesus, it will be amazing. Let me share with you just a few points from this book. It's called The Essential Jesus. It was edited by Brian Ball and Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson, of course, we know was the editor of the Adventist Review and Adventist World for many years. In a chapter written by Bill Johnson, he describes an interview or a conversation that took place between Lee Strobel, a Christian author, and a man by the name of Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton was once a Christian minister who worked with Billy Graham. But he let doubt creep in. And he walked away from his Christian ministry. He walked away from Billy Graham. And he became an exceptionally high-profile atheist. Lee Strobel went to visit him. And Bill Johnson captures what happened in that conversation. He writes, It was late in the interview, and Templeton had laid out a compelling case for his rejection of faith. Then Strobel put a question that abruptly changed the tenor of the conversation. And Strobel asked, and so how do you assess this Jesus? The change in the avowed atheist was dramatic. Bill Johnson describes, Templeton's body language softened. 
It was as if he suddenly felt relaxed and comfortable in talking about an old and dear friend. His voice, which at times had displayed a sharp and insistent edge, now took a melancholy and reflective tone. His guard seemingly down, he spoke in an unhurried pace. Almost nostalgically, carefully choosing his words, he talked about Jesus. This is an atheist now, talking about Jesus. Templeton began, he was the greatest human being who has ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What could one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? Strobel says, I was taken aback, and he said to to Templeton, you sound like you really care about him. And Templeton replied, well, yes, he's the most important thing in my life, came his reply. Then his next words, I, 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 he stuttered, searching for the right word. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say, I, I adore him. Strobel wasn't sure how to respond. You say that with some emotion. And Templeton said, well, yes, everything good I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Yes, yes, and tough. Just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have been many wonderful other people, but Jesus is Jesus Templeton said. And so the world would do well to emulate him, Strobel asked. And Templeton came back, oh my goodness, yes. I have tried and tries as far as I can go to act as I've believed he would. That doesn't mean I could read his mind because one of the most fascinating things about him was that he did the opposite thing that you'd expect. Strobel then writes, abruptly, Templeton cut short his thoughts. There was a brief pause, almost as if he was uncertain whether he should continue. But he did. Uh, uh, But no, he said slowly. He's the most... He stopped, then started again. In my view, he declared... He is the most important human being that has ever existed. That's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him. 
And if I may put it this way, he said as his voice began to crack, I miss him. Coming from an atheist, I miss him. With that, tears flooded his eyes. He turned his head and looked downward, raising his left hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. After more than half a century of convincing himself and trying to convince others that the Christian faith was nonsense, Templeton had not escaped the influence of Jesus Christ. The mention of Jesus' name brought back associations of a friendship once treasured, but long severed and still longed for. Remember Templeton, his mistake, a wasted, empty life. Compare that to what Jesus wants to do with you, with your future. It's pure. It's beyond what you can imagine. It's beyond what you can dream. Your future starts today. Your future with Jesus is eternal. Only because of Jesus. Can I plead with you? Choose Jesus.